Well, hey, good morning. I uh, love that sound of indistinct chatter happening as you are greeting your neighbor. Um, that is what church uh, is about in large part, and I'm excited uh, to get to share with you guys this morning. Uh, good morning. My name is Joe Polino, and uh, I appreciate that. My name is Joe Polino, and I serve as a life groups pastor and stewardship director here, and it is a joy to be a part of this church, and it's an honor to get to share with you guys this morning. Uh, we've been going through the book of Hebrews as a church for the last seven weeks, okay? For the last seven weeks, we've been going through the book of Hebrews as a church, and the title over this series is Developing Resilience, Developing Resilience. One of the main themes throughout the book of Hebrews is this call to persevere, to lean in, to not give up, that Jesus is worth it, right? And so we've been learning about that. And just to remind you, the context of Hebrews is that it's written in about 67 AD. So this is when the first generation of Christians are passing the baton to the second generation. Okay, there is widespread persecution. The church leaders are being killed off, okay? James is executed, okay? Peter is crucified, and then Paul's beheaded. Uh, the Emperor Nero at the time, they blamed a, a fire that happened that destroyed much of Rome on the Christians, and so it was open game to persecute Christians. And so as a result, there was immense, immense pressure for the Jewish, back, Jewish background believers especially, because all they needed to do was just renounce Jesus, and it would stop, and they could just go back to Judaism. So and in this in this environment, we see God putting supernatural resilience into his church, and we believe that as a church today, as, as we go through Hebrews, that God wants to do the same thing in us. He wants to develop supernatural res resilience in us. Now, resilience, uh, our working definition, is that it is the spiritual strength that we need to stay faithful to Jesus in the face of life's trials and temptations. Okay, how many of y'all need more resilience like this in your life? Okay, all right, I love the hands, let's go. The ways that we've seen this so far in our series, just to recap, uh, since we're almost done with it, it's nine weeks, uh, we're in week eight, but we have been so far, we've learned that God wants to develop resilience in us through paying attention to Jesus. It starts with him, and then it starts with receiving help from Jesus, okay? We never get away from that. And we learn that through giving and receiving encouragement, that builds up resilience through rest, resting in the Lord, resting physically, resting in the Sabbath. We rest, that builds up resilience. It's also not just by trying to do good, and we wanna train ourselves to discern what is right from wrong. And then we also learn that imitating the faith of people who persevered before us is a way we build resilience. And then last week, Pastor Zach shared that good theology develops resilience. So the title of this week's message is that, the, is that God wants to develop resilience in us by being planted in the church. So if you're taking notes, God wants to develop resilience by us being planted in the church. Now, this is a topic for me that I'm very passionate about. It's probably one of those overflow topics. I'm not a very talkative person, but if you were to uh, sit down with me, I could probably talk your ear off on this one, okay? But it was not always that way for me. Uh, I grew up in the South Garland, North Mesquite area of the Metroplex. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, and there were some great foundations that were laid early on in my life. 
But one of the things that I really struggled with was seeing uh, the, the meaning and the purpose of being planted in the church, okay? Now, uh, when I say the, the church, what I thought was the church was what we're doing this morning. It was a Sunday gathering. It was going to hear the preacher preach, going to sing songs, and that was helpful. And so if you are a really good Christian, what I thought is that you went to church almost every Sunday. Uh, you went to the Sunday gathering every Sunday. What I would learn later is that biblically, the church is not actually even a building or a one and a half hour time slot on Sunday, but that we are the church. It's the people of God that are gathered together that have the Holy Spirit in them. And as we gather, the Sunday morning experience is one of those expressions, but it's so much more. It's so much more. And we're going to learn more about that. But I didn't realize that. And so when I thought of church, um, man, I was most of the time thinking of ways that I could get out of going on Sunday. You know, it's like when uh, you were just sleeping in and you were pretending, like I wasn't even tired, but I was just pretending I was asleep, like, oh man, if I wait another five minutes, there's no way we can make it and we can stay home. Like that was my mentality. Um, but no matter what my efforts were, there were at least two Sundays a year that we were going to go to church. And that was Christmas Eve service and that was Easter. Christmas Eve and Easter. If you grew up anywhere in the Bible Belt, even if you didn't want to follow God, somehow you ended up dragged there, okay? It was Christmas Eve service, and it was Easter. And I remember in those moments, even reluctantly going at times, in one Christmas Eve service, we were singing about Jesus being the light of the world, and it was a candlelight service. So they turned out all the lights, and we all had our candles, and I just remember in that moment, something was sparked in me, and it was a longing it was a longing to have this feeling of this nearness to God last forever. Like just the singing, I was like, oh, this is, there's something here that I want to maintain. But then once I left uh, and the Christmas day, like that feeling was fleeting. And then on Easter service, I would be dressed up in some new outfit that was really uncomfortable and I hated getting pictures. But as I was doing it, I would hear at some point in the service, the, the preacher talk about the love of God demonstrated for us on the cross and how God demonstrates his love for us that while I was still a sinner, he died for me and I was so moved and I was like, God, I wanna do better. I wanna do better. I'll be here next Sunday. And uh, that was not my story. Uh, it took me a while before I actually um, turned back around to God. And I just share that this morning just to say, maybe some of you can relate to my story as it relates to the church. Uh, maybe you have a longing inside of you today to know and to be near God. You're searching to know God, but don't know where to begin. Perhaps that's why you're here this Sunday morning. And maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time and you found life here, but those early dynamic days of being in the church have, have, have been fleeting and it's harder and harder to persevere and you need fresh vision this morning. I believe God wants to impart that to you of why the church is a place to build resilience. And then maybe, you know, you're, uh, the other camp that I thought of is that maybe you've been on the outskirts of the church and it's not for lack of effort, but there's been real hurts, real disappointments that you've encountered in your life that make it hard for you to actually enter it in and say, it's not for lack of effort. I feel like I've tried but it's like touching the stove when it's hot. I just don't know if I trust it. And honestly, I don't feel safe. So I'm here, but that's all I got. Okay, maybe that's you. And if you're here, 
welcome. You are welcome in this place. But wherever you're at this morning, I believe God wants to encourage you and invite you to see how being planted in the church will develop a supernatural resilience of faith. So you guys ready to do this? Okay, so we're gonna see it in three ways from the scripture, okay? So if you're taking notes, you got three ways. Number one is that we wanna be a spur. Be a spur, develop resilience by being planted in the church through being a spur. Number two, build the habit. Number three, run the race together, okay? So those are gonna be my three points. There's my speech right there. So you got, um, we're gonna be in Hebrews 10. So if you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews 10. We're gonna be in verse 19. If you don't have a Bible or, or if you want a hard copy, there should be one under your chair, and you can turn to page uh, 973 is where we'll be. Now, Pastor Zach hit on this verse last week when he talked about good theology. Uh, so I'm going to read the whole thing, but I'm actually going to focus only on the bottom portion, okay? All right. So Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, it'll also be on the screen. Now, in this passage... The author of Hebrews is summing up basically everything that's been written in the book until now, okay? So this is, this is some really dense, amazing stuff. So he says in verse 19, he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, now, I'm gonna pause right there before I finish the rest of it, because these two since we haves, which I've highlighted on here, they, they summarize what God's done in Christ. These since we haves, it says, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, we have access to God through the blood of Jesus. We have a better covenant and a better sacrifice through, uh, through Christ. This is what we have. This is what he's done. This is what the author has been describing, what we've been going through through the sermon series. This is incredible. Uh, this is an inexhaustible uh, just truth, and you can find life here and, and meditate on this, uh, man, for the rest of your life. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, we can have relationship with God, okay? And since we have a great priest over the house of God, and that priest he is a representative of, sent from the people to God, and a priest also is sent from God to the people, okay? We have Jesus as our priest. Jesus is our great priest, and this priest represents us to God, and he has said all of their past, present, future sins are paid for. It's done. The sacrificial system of the tabernacle, all the things that have been, been being described over the past three chapters, period, done. I'm the great high priest. You don't need another one because I rose from the dead and I'm not going anywhere. So this is amazing. These two since we have has changed the world. This is actually the hope of the world right here. These two since we have. Woo. Okay, so these two since we have. Uh, Zach talked about it last week, so uh, that's it, okay? But we have to mention them because the rest of the passage doesn't make sense unless I do. Okay, so let's keep reading on. We're gonna see in verse 22 and 23, 24, we're gonna see there's three, because of these two since we have, there's three, let us do these things, okay? So it says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. 
Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So since we have, God has established a new vertical relationship with him through access to God, through Jesus, and through him being a high priest. Because of that, these three let us help us know how, did this, how does this play out on the ground? How does this work out in our, real, in our actual life? It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Because of this new vert- vertical relationship, let us draw near together, okay? And notice it says that God cleanses, cleanses our conscience and washes our bodies. The gospel changes us from the inside out, okay? Inside out transformation. Then it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because God is faithful. God's promised to finish the work that is within us. And so he is faithful. And so we can hold on to this promise no matter what we're going through. Okay. And then this last part, 24 through 25, that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time where it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So my first point is from verse 24, where it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds is to be a spur, be a spur. So this spur in the Greek uh, is, is pronounced paroxousmas, paroxousmas. Okay, can you say that with me? Paroxousmas. Paroxousmas, okay? So it means to stimulate. It means to prod, to poke. Maybe your translation says to stir up, okay? And just like a cowboy or a horse rider has a spur to help guide and direct the horse, we're to spur one another on the love and good deeds. Now, uh, I don't know if you've been on a horse trail ride before. Uh, I've been on a few in my life. When I was little, I wanted to be a cowboy, uh, and so uh, those dreams have faded, but whenever, whenever I am in like, an opportunity, like there's been two adult experiences I can remember as I was thinking about this where I could ride a horse, and that little you know, five-year-old Joe was just like, oh, <laughs> yes, yes, this is what I'm made for. But somehow, each of those times, I got the horse that just hated its life. Everyone else in the group was like going fine. They were trotting, they were moving, and I would have the horse that was just, you know, just one week away from the glue factory. Just like, I, I, I could not get it to move. And it was like hurting my ego as like a five, you know, the, the, the inner Joe that wanted to be a cowboy. I was like, oh, I should, I should know how to do this. And so um, I was considering in that moment lots of ways to spur on my horse, right? I, I was... Uh, you know, I was saying its name. Come on, Buttercup. Come on, let's go. You know, let's, 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 you know, I was doing that or whatever the, whatever I've seen in movies. I was pretending I had spurs. I was, I was trying to urge it on. It was just, it was just so frustrating. And, uh, and it's kind of a funny illustration, but um, man, I just, as I was thinking about that uh, metaphor, uh, I just realized, I feel like God said, you know what? You can be a lot more like Buttercup than you realize. Um, and just not in a, not in a hurtful way, but just in like a, you know what? I can be pretty stubborn. Uh, I can be pretty reluctant myself. And, but what I felt like God said that was so encouraging was, was I can be a lot more patient 
and persistent than you in, in trying to spur you on. And so I think um, just in that, in that vein, uh, when we say that God wants to uh, encourage us to spur us on, um, why would he instruct us to do that? Uh, I think because he, he loves us and he wants us to walk an abundant life and he knows that we need it. Um, and no matter who you are or how many mountaintops and encounters you've had with God, the way to mature in your faith is by being planted among a community of believers who consider ways to spur on one another. I'm gonna say that again. No matter who you are, no matter how mature your faith, what your knowledge level is of the Bible, what your church attendance is, here is the way to mature in your faith, is to be planted among a community of believers who consider ways to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's the way that we mature. We all need to be spurred on. Even these Hebrew Christians that were incredible, I mean, these are like heroes of the faith. They needed to be reminded. If you go to Hebrews 10, 32 through 34, which will be on the screen, but it's just a little bit down from the passage we just read, you see this. You see, it says, remember the earlier days. Remember the earlier days. Now, why would he need to remind them of the earlier days if they didn't need to be spurred on? Remember the earlier days after you received the light when you endured in great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were public, publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were being so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you know that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. Wow. Uh, we're going to get into that a little bit on point two, but I just want us to point out here, God knows that we all, even these early Hebrew uh, Christians, needed the reminder of the earlier days and to set your trajectory in the right place. So uh, what I'm about to say might be blasphemous for a Dallas sports fan, but I have to say it. God wants you to be a spur and not a maverick. God wants you to be a spur and not a maverick, okay? In your community, God wants you to be a spur, not a maverick. In the NBA, let's go, Luca. Let's go, KP. I'm cheering for the Mavs, okay? A few San Antonio people were like, yes! Um, not the San Antonio Spurs, but God wants you to be a spur and not a maverick. Here's what Webster's Dictionary defines a maverick as. A maverick is an independent individual who does not go along with a group or a party. That's what a maverick is, an unorthodox person or an independent individual who does not go along with a group or a party. Now, like I said, um, I'm gonna be rooting for the Mavs this season. I hope they get off to a better start than they did a few nights ago. Um, but hey, uh, we live in a world where this hyper-individualism is what we marinate in. It's what Zach talked about. It's where the maverick is actually lifted up as the ideal, okay? And we, we don't recognize it sometimes, but the fruits of this so far in our society as it's increased even more from the 1960s on is loneliness is a fruit of this, anxiety, depression. We see that tribalism is on the rise, okay? Where people are gathered more around mutual hate than around a community, which is around mutual loves, and what tribalism ends up doing is it creates a zero-sum game where you are fighting for scarce resources and you either win or lose, kill or be killed. That is in some ways 
what we're saying, what is this cultural moment? We're seeing individualism is the seed and the flower is tribalism in our American society. These are the fruits of it. Now, in community, we see people gathered together around a common love, and there's generosity, there's appreciation for the differences that we have, but we're all gathered around together uh, appreciating something that we have in common. In Latin, the, the, the common uh, part, the etymology of the word community, it's having something in common, okay? So when we're talking about, we, we, we want to, um, so in our, in our mission statement as a church, we say that we're sons and daughters who encounter Jesus, practice his ways, and build his kingdom in our city, nation, and nations of the earth. That's who we are. To practice the way of Jesus, you cannot be a maverick on your own because the way of Jesus, when he called his disciples, they were put into a group whether or not they liked it, okay? When he called Simon the Zealot, he was put in a group with Matthew the tax collector. Imagine the dinner conversations that they had. The Simon the Zealot was a pro-Israeli revolutionary, while Matthew the tax collector was a traitor on Rome's payroll. Think about that. You think that we have difficulties on our left and our right? Uh, I would say there might be some situations where Simon needed to be like watched in the middle of the night that he didn't go kill Matthew the tax collector. Like seriously, it's like times five. This is, this is and Jesus called him to that. And as you see in the gospels, these disciples, it is not an idealistic community at first. It's not. They struggle. They, they, they fight. That you see that there's side conversations. It's like survivor. Like, let's make an alliance so that we can be at the right hand of Jesus, okay? And let's get our mom to go do that. Like, there's a, there's a passage where, like, the sons of thunder get uh, James and John get their mom to come up and to talk to Jesus and say, hey, you know, could, could they have authority in your, in your kingdom? And it's just like, what, is, what in the world? What's going on? And then you just see the gospels. And if the disciples wrote this in order to make it up, why would they make themselves be so foolish all throughout? Like, it's just honest. There's doubts. There's questions. They don't understand what's going on, okay? This group is not an ideal group. But in those three years with Jesus, and after he died on the cross and he rose again, and the Holy Spirit at Pentecost went through, the way that these disciples loved each other is evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. It's through the unity of the church that is the witness that why 2,000 years later, Rome is gone, church leaders are gone, political fads and everyone else have come and gone, but the church is still here today. The church is still alive today. It's because of the love, the supernatural uh, love and unity surrounded around Jesus, around people that are so different. Ooh, man. Man. So what, how do we do that here at Antioch Dallas? What does this look like for us? Where does this happen? Uh, you know, I think some of this spurring one another on is happening right now, okay? It's good to herald the gospel. It's good to open up God's word. Some of it happens in our serve teams. If you're serving in kids ministry, welcome team, worship team, as you're serving, you get to spur one another on. But, but since I have the mic and I'm the life group pastor, we're gonna talk about the primary place that this happens, and that's in life groups. Life groups, okay? Life groups. Now, let's put it back up the maverick definition, if you will, uh, the maverick 
Okay, so a maverick is an independent individual who does not go along with a group or party, okay? Now, I wanted you to put up the definition of life group right next to that. So life groups are discipleship communities which practice the way of Jesus together in neighborhoods throughout the Metroplex. Literally, if you're a maverick independent, the reason why we wanna put life and group together in the same word is because you find abundant life when you're in a group that spurs each other on to practice the way of Jesus, okay? Woo, come on. Mm. So that's how we do it here today at Antioch Dallas. So when you gather together in a life group, you meet to break bread together, to build family, to grow in your faith and make disciples. Um, when you meet some, in someone's home with 10 to 20 people, or you gather together for a meal, it's just a different dynamic. You can be known, you can be vulnerable, you can be honest, and it's a different dynamic than what we have here this Sunday. It says to consider how to spur on one another. Okay, so that's the other part about life group. Life group is not uh, a sales pitch so that you can be spurred on in your faith. That's part of it. This scripture, though, says that when you show up, it's actually to consider ways to spur up one another. Okay, so life groups are life-giving when the whole group is showing up and they're considering ways that in my life group, okay, how can I get on the level of the three-year-old Luca Kreider in my life group to let him know that God sees him and he loves him and I'm doing that? You know what, as I'm spurring up the kids in my family life group, I actually get spurred on myself. As I'm meeting together with uh, Matt Fisher and, and Richard Kreider or I'm meeting together with... Uh, you know, just uh, Jim and Adelina Lewis, like the different people in my life group, as I'm considering how to spur up one another, I'm also asking them, hey, speak into my life, spur, spur me on, okay? So in our, in our life groups, um, man, they are not perfect. There is uh, work to be done in it, but there is life there. There's life there. I just encourage you, our next, if you're, if you're new here and not in a life group, I wanna invite you in. I wanna invite you to join a life group. Sign up for Planted in November. Come and talk to me after the service. We would love for you to be there. But don't just take my word for it. Um, a member here uh, who joined our church maybe a couple years ago, Karen Sanchez, she wrote this. That's right. Give it up for Karen. Is Karen here? There you are. Let's go. I love what she said here, and this was not related to my message. I didn't ask her to say this. She said, my life group has become my family in Dallas. I count, on, I count on their support when seasons are hard and know they will constantly point me back to Jesus or spur me on back to Jesus. I'm so thankful for Antioch Dallas and my life group and the role they have played in my faith. Um, on a personal level, uh, I've experienced this in a real real-time, real like recent way. And Johnny alluded to this a little bit, um, but this, about a week ago, uh, well, actually, this week, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to preach, and the reason um, is because about a week ago, my wife and I had a miscarriage, and it was uh, sudden and devastating. The baby was early, um, and um, it has just been a roller coaster of emotions, and I don't share that to draw attention to our loss or our, our sadness, but what me and my wife were talking, and we felt like it was appropriate to use it as an opportunity to glorify God and also to spotlight the ways that our community has spurred us on. Uh, I just can't tell you the ways um, that 
that it just meant so much to us that the people in our life group in our church, that there have been flowers, notes, prayers, meal cards, each one saying we love you and praying for you. Uh, one day, Amy had just the way it worked out, like three different deliveries lined up in a matter of five minutes, and you just felt like the Lord was saying, I love you, I see you, I love you, I see you, I love you, I see you, I love you, I see you. And I share that because whether or not you've gone through something awful like that, the loss of a, of a, of, of a child or, or grief, the truth is that we're all going through something or we're coming out of something or we're gonna go into something and we need to be planted in a place where when we are encountering that kind of loss that God's there saying, I see you, I love you. I see you, I love you. I see you, I love you. So thank you guys for being that to my, commu- to, to my family and for praying for us. Um, I cannot look at my wife right now, so I'm not gonna do that, and I'm gonna keep going on. So that's the point. Be a spur, not a maverick, okay? So number two, point two, is that we wanna build the habit. Build the habit, and it's from uh, verse 25, where it says, let us consider how to spur on one another in love and good, de- uh, love and good deeds, um, and it says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, remember the context that I shared at the beginning of the Hebrews uh, in this passage. Um, in verse 10, 32 through 34, uh, it gives a little insight into that. So if we can pull back up Hebrews 10, 32 through 34, it says that, uh, man, they were publicly exposed to insult and persecution and at other times stood side by side with those who were being treated. They lost their property. In this environment, it wasn't a matter of, man, should I show up to the house meeting because so-and-so has this shalom meal that's gonna be amazing or keep my options open? No, this was, if I show up to this meeting, there is a good chance that there's gonna be people looking out for me and there's gonna be, it's gonna be like bait and I'm gonna end up in jail. I'm gonna end up losing my property. If I go and visit those who are in prison, there's a good chance that I will just need to pack my bags and put in a spot right next to them because I'm gonna out myself that I'm a follower of Jesus. So just to say, this is the environment of the Hebrew Christians, and really, this is the environment for many of the Christians in the world today, that if they, they risk under the hiddenness of night in cold places with no AC, no chairs, they are meeting together to spur one another on, knowing that if they get caught, they would lose everything, including their life. I mean, that is just... That is just true, and it's, it, it's amazing. So what in the world, like, why, why is it worth it? Like, why is it worth it? Like, I love my life group. If someone said, you're going to lose your house if you show up to life group, I'm not going to the life group. I'll just be honest, and I'm the life group pastor. Where, what hope is there for us, you know? I won't do it, but you have to remember, hey, since we have, since we have access to God to enter into the most holy place, and since we have this great high priest who's paid it all, when it says in verse 32 that because you knew that you had a better and lasting possession than this, if this is central, then this is something that there's nothing I can lose because I, I can't lose it. And whatever I have, there's a lasting and better possession in Christ. It's amazing, since we have. So let us not give up meeting together. In Matthew 13, it talks about the kingdom of heaven like this. 
It says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And in his joy, he went and sold all he had and he bought the field. One of the ways that's simple that we can show that we love Jesus and that he's a treasure in our life is just to prioritize the habit of meeting together. It's to show up. It's to not only come on the church meeting on Sundays, but hey, how am I putting into my schedule meeting with people who are gonna consider how to spur one another on? Let's do that in life group. Let's do that across life groups. Let's do that continually. How are we doing that? How are we doing that? But I also realize, um, well, let me, let, me, let me say this. Uh, to say to somebody, okay, start a habit or to stop a habit is not helpful. If you're in a habit you don't want to have, man, uh, stop eating junk food and go work out. Wow, thank you so much for that amazing insight. That's great. Uh, I never thought about that. Uh, you know what? I'm not in the habit of going to church. You should start. Woo, amazing sermon, amazing. Um, you should write a book on that. Uh, the truth is that, is that habits are these small, tiny choices that oftentimes we don't see the fruit of until much later, okay, in both positive ways and in negative ways. Uh, James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, which is a, uh, a great book I'd recommend if you're wanting to learn more about how habits work, he said this. He said, the impact created by a change in your habits is similar to the effect of shifting a route on an airplane by just a few degrees. Imagine you're flying from Los Angeles to New York City. If a pilot leaving LAX adjusts heading just 3.5 degrees south, you will land in Washington, D.C. instead of New York. Such a, such a small change is barely noticeable at takeoff. The nose of the airplane just moves a few feet. But when magnified across the entire United States, you end up hundreds of miles apart. Similarly, a slight change in your daily habits can guide your life to a very different destination. It's powerful truth. Just a few feet at the beginning of the air, airplane taking off, you're heading for New York, you end up in Washington, D.C. And I think what God wants to just encourage you with is not, okay, I want to set my trajectory. I don't, but I actually think God, as a loving father, wants to inspire and encourage us that he is far more patient than we realize, and he's more persistent in, in his invitation than we ever realize, okay? So if you're discouraged this morning, or if you're doing great, uh, man, I feel like God wants to encourage us in this. Um, I experienced this personally when I was in college, just this patient invitation uh, into community. So I was in college and I was in a place where my hunger for God was so high because my crisis had gotten to a level where I was like, I'll do anything. So I would show up in the back of church services, not only on Sunday, but on Wednesday, just saying, God, if you're real, show me. And it didn't matter what was being preached. I remember in a Wednesday night college service, the pastor was talking about dating and he said that men are like pineapples and women are like watermelon. I have no idea what he said. By the end of the sermon, I was weeping. I was weeping. Not because of, of it. It was because God was working on me. It was, because, it was because he was meeting me in my prayer. And I was in the back of the, of the, of the sanctuary. I would come in late and I would leave early because I was crying. I didn't want to be embarrassed. I didn't know what I was doing. But I was showing up. And those small choices of showing up put me on a trajectory. And someone saw me 
in my fraternity. I was in a fraternity with 80 guys. And, and these, you know, it was as, as I went to Baylor University, but this was as, as secular of a, of a fraternity as you can get. So this chapter was the same as UT or whatever. So there were not people who were interested in talking about God. But one of the guys in my fraternity had come to know the Lord uh, like a year before. So he started praying for his fraternity and he saw something in me. He saw a hunger. And so we started to, to become friends. And he knew that if he invited me in, that I would find life in community. And there was this mission trip that was on the spring break, okay? And I'm a sophomore. And he said, hey, I want you to come with me on this mission trip to Juarez, Mexico. Uh, it's going to be amazing. And he was trying to hype it up. And I was just like, spring break? This is what I'm going to use my spring break for. I was like, I, maybe when I'm a senior, I'll give back and I'll, you know, I'll go on this trip but I got ski trip plans, and so I just said, hey, thanks so much, no thanks. Well, about a few weeks later, the ski trip fell through, and so I was scrambling to make backup plans, had backup plans for my spring break, but this guy, Adam, showed up again. He said, hey, how's that ski trip going? And I said, well, uh, actually, we're not going on the ski trip anymore. It didn't work out, but I think we're gonna try to do something else. And he was like, okay, well, hey, the invitation's still open to go uh, to, to this, on this business trip. I was like, thanks. I appreciate that. All right. Um, so then, again, a couple weeks later, spring break's really close now. It's like, a, it's like a week away, and my plans fall through. And so I'm, Adam shows up again. He's like, hey, you looking forward to spring break? And I just couldn't lie to him. I said, hey, actually, I, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I think it'll be fun. And he said, and I also thought it was too late to sign up because the deadline had passed. And he said, hey, there's still a chance. If you want to come, I want you to come with me. Uh, and, and I said, look, I can't even pay for it. Like it was $400 to go, which to me might as well have been 400,000 as a college student. I was just like, this is it, like this is done. Like I appreciate all you're doing. No, okay? <laughs> but then he blew me away and he said, you know what? He said, how much do you need? And I said, I need all of it. And he said, I got you. He said, I'll pay for it. And he, talking about Spur, he cattle prodded me onto that bus. <laughs> and as we were on that bus, it was the beginning of, of like all those little choices I'd been making to show up. Like it was like I started to experience the life of having people around me spur me on and know my testimony and, and it changed my life. And I share that because I believe that's a picture of what God wants to do here with many of us in this room of what Adam did with me, praying, like, praying for you, love you like a loving father. How are your plans going? I want to invite you to go come with me, be planted in the church. I want to invite you to sign up. Hey, you're doing great. I want to invite you. Hey, I, I, I'm wooing you into the community of God. And you're like, man, I, I don't have it together. I don't have answers. I don't feel safe. I don't know what I'm doing. But the Lord said, it's all paid for. It's all paid for. You don't have to have, uh, if your life's a mess, it's paid for. If your life's fully put together, hey, you are welcome here in this place. And I just believe that's what God wants to do with us. So let's build the habit of not neglecting to meet together. Mm. The last point is from verse 25, and it's to run the race together, Okay but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. 
So remember, since we have access to God through Christ, since we have this great high priest, let us be a spur, not a maverick. Let us build a habit and let us run the race together, okay? But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Um, Martin Luther once said, I have two days on my calendar, this day and that day. The day today where my feet are planted and the day when I'm gonna see Jesus face to face. This I remember when I was in college realizing this, I lived in a house with nine guys, and I sometimes, as an introvert, it would drive me crazy. It was wonderful, but it would drive me crazy at times. Across the street was a cemetery. Uh, I would go to the cemetery to walk around. I know you think that's weird. Um, it was a little weird. My wife thinks it's very weird. It was during the day. Uh, it was uh, shaded, and it was peaceful, so that's where I went. And as I did, though, I would look at these tombstones and just wonder what their life was like. I would see when they were born in the 1900s, 1800s, and see this dash in the middle, and then I would see when their, when their day came. Uh, and I would just wonder what it would be like, and seeing people who only lived a short time and a long time, and it just naturally made me think, how am I using my days? And then I, I, and then I remember I walked up to a tombstone of someone that I knew. It was a pastor who I was sitting in the service of, and a couple weeks later died unexpectedly. And I just remember it hitting me that I want to live my life in such a way that I am, I am presently looking towards that day when I'm going to meet Jesus, because that sets the trajectory of my life in a life-giving way. And that's what I want us to do. And in Hebrews 12, it says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. If you've ever trained for a race, my wife and I have trained for a half marathon. She's actually a better runner than me. Um, she is a great trainer. But as we were doing this, um, when we, when the time that we need encouragement in the race, uh, honestly, is not the beginning, but it's towards the end, right? It gets harder and harder as we go. And Jesus said, uh, believe it's in... Matthew 24, 12, he said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. As you get closer and closer to the day, there's two things that happen. One is that I've realized that Jesus is better than I first ever, I ever thought, and that life is actually much more challenging and harder than I ever realized. And I need people to encourage and spur me on to run the race. And we don't just need these great cloud of witnesses like we talked about imitating those who've gone before. I need people in the race with me. And not only that, yeah, today, not only do I need people in the race with me, but I need to be looking out just like Adam was doing of who is on the sidelines in my fraternity, who's on the sidelines in my sphere of influence that I can invite into life to run the race with me together. And so we wanna run the race together. Uh, Kevin and Daniel Palm, uh, amazing friends of ours. They've been, man, pillars in life group for like five years. They said this. Uh, uh, I thought this was profound. This is from Kevin and Daniel Palm. They said, we knew we wanted to run the good race, find answers, and believe in hope and healing. But doing it disconnected from the church body is like trying to charge a battery without an outlet. Life group isn't the source of our faith or driving force of the Holy Spirit but it's an important avenue to receive the blessings from the Father and be able to walk confidently with the Lord. I love that. So just as we close, just wanna summarize again that we develop resiliency by being a spur, 
and not a maverick. We build the habit of meeting together regularly and we run the race together. I want to invite the, the band up and as we close, as we bring it home, I just realized that um, just in this room, again, that there's people coming from all different, uh, all different backgrounds, all different sides of the spectrum when it comes to being planted in community. And maybe you're here kind of like me. While I was in the back row. I was like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if I'm down with this church thing, but I know that I want God. I know that I want Jesus. I know that what I'm doing is not good. I know it's not life, and I want to follow him. And I just want to say, if you're here, you're on the right track. Continue to be here. Take a step. Meet somebody. Sign up for Planted. Come up for prayer. In fact, let's have our prayer and prophetic team. If you'll begin to make your way down, we're going to have just our prayer and prophetic team here because we believe that God meets us through the preaching of his word, but also, uh, also, sorry, I need some water. Also, through the prayers of his people. When I, prayed that, when I prayed that prayer, God, if you will show me, he answered it through a person. And so we're gonna have our prayer and prophetic team up here. If you need prayer for anything, uh, we encourage you to come. But also, maybe it's a time for you just to evaluate, man, God, am I considering how to spur up one another when I'm joining my life group? How's my tra trajectory? As scary as it is, the Lord, like a loving father, is inviting you patiently and persistently to come in. And maybe it's not only running the race together, but looking for other people in your sphere of influence to invite them in. Maybe invite them in, not just once, not just twice, not just three times, but kind of like Adam. Okay, how are your plans going? I'd love to invite you in again. So please stand with me as we respond to what the Lord's saying. I'm gonna pray for us. I just would encourage you in this moment to respond, uh, to respond to what God's saying, whether it's coming up for prayer, whether it's writing it down, whether it's coming up and seeing me after the service, whatever it is, I just encourage you to respond. But Father God, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that since we have access to you in the most holy place, because of a better covenant and better sacrifice. Since we have a great high priest, would you build your church? Would you meet needs? Would you woo your sons and daughters to come closer? Woo us, God. Give us a fresh vision. Help us to be like the Hebrews that for the joy, they considered the confiscation of their property actually a joy. What? They did it because they knew that you were better. They knew that you were better. They knew that you were the lasting hope. So Lord, would you help us, help us today to have our eyes set on you and to run the race together. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's encourage you to come and respond and get prayer.